Well, it is good to be back with you. Many of you would know that I was here two weeks ago. I was supposed to be here last week instead of this week, but uh, a funeral called me uh, out of town and had to leave for the weekend, so uh, we uh, reshifted, and uh, now I get to be back with you. So thank you for having me again. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 6. We're in a series here called Transitions. Nothing like a, a phone call from your pastor. It says, uh, would you like to preach here? I'd love to have you again. Would you come? Be happy to if I can help. Love to do it. Yeah, could you jump into the series with us? And uh, by the way, one of the two weeks has 67 verses, and I uh, hope you enjoy that one. So this is where we are today. You know, it is, uh, it is uh, very routine that I am meeting with men having lunch, and we talk about spiritual pilgrimage, their formation, where they are spiritually. Very often, very often, I, uh, I hear this comment. You know, I, uh, I do believe in Christianity. I, uh, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the son of God. I really do. And in our discussion at some point, I may raise this question, the question for us today. Is your faith in Christ and your embrace of Christianity, would you put it under the category more of belief or is it conviction that I explain? A belief is something you hold to be true. Now, why you hold it to be true, I don't know. Maybe in the faith, as we talk about one's faith, maybe it's because grew up in the Bible Belt, heard Christianity all my life. My parents were very involved in Christianity, and I heard and I listened and I believed, and I've, I've never not believed. But what about the person who is in North Africa? All they've heard is Allah, Allah, Allah. Why in the world would we believe? Is it truly because it's a belief? Or has it moved to the point of conviction? Great difference between the two. Belief and conviction. We're going to find in this particular text how to find the answer, do I have belief or do I have conviction? How can I know? It'd be a great time to do a self-assessment, to kind of figure out where am I right now? How would I describe my own Christian faith? Assuming you embrace Christianity. Three tests, I think, can be illustrated in the life of this man, Stephen, that we talked about two weeks ago, became one of the deacons, as we call them now, called to serve the people in the body of Christ in the early church. These three, I will hit them briefly, and, uh, but I think you'll see a great illustration of the tests that we have for determining whether it's a conviction or not. Here's the first one. A person with a conviction will demonstrate the life of God, and we'll dip into that one for a few minutes, the life of God. Number two, they will defend the ways of God. They can't keep silent. They're going to defend the ways of God. 
And thirdly, this could be misleading. We'll have to dig into this one. Willing to die for the cause of God. It may not be what it appears to say there. But willing to die. So let's, uh, let's look at these three. Let's begin with number one. Stephen demonstrates the life of God. I'm not going to read the entire text, certainly, but I do want to start with these verses in Acts chapter 6, 8 through 15. Listen as I read the Word of God. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some of the men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. They came to him, dragged him away, brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses has handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. I think our text is going to convince us that uh, Jesus certainly demonstrated the life of God. Now, two verses that we just read, verses 8 and 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can look back at those. Verse 8, again, uses these words, full of grace and power. We would describe, well, what do you mean the, the life of God in you? What are you talking about? This is what you begin to see. And the person who has a conviction, there's grace and power. What a combination. Grace is tenderness. It's compassion. Giving people what they don't deserve. Now, keep in mind, he's experiencing all kind of slander, false accusations, when I read that text, I wanted to pause and just say what he was thinking. He's going, no, that's not true. Oh, no, I've never done that. Are you kidding me? No, I didn't do that. Maybe he did. I don't know. But I know this, full of accusations. Now, I can imagine if you were to walk up and see me after a message that I've given and someone had approached me and began bringing accusations against me that I said things that I didn't say, that I believe things I don't believe, and that I've done things I don't, and they just came at me and were telling me all that. And you were to be a, a bystander. And you were to see my face then. I'm not sure you would say, oh, his face is a face of an angel right now. <laughs> Look at him. Now, this may be an extreme illustration, but I'll tell you this. Here's a man who showed grace. There was grace in his life. But it's combined with power. Grace and power, which means strength, determination. Hmm. Grace and power. 
I know a lot of our youngest people have left, but our young folks that are here, let me say this. No greater combination in your life. You let people meet you as a young person and be able to say, you know what? Strength, power in the way he lives. But incredible grace, tremendous combination. Kind of makes you think of Jesus, doesn't it? Hmm. See, people of conviction, they demonstrate the Son of God living in them. The grace and power of Jesus demonstrated in the life of this man, Stephen. Also in verse 8, it says this. It says this, he was performing signs and wonders. Not going to jump into that one in depth, but I'll tell you this. Do we believe in signs and wonders? People differ in that, that question. I do. I believe God does signs and wonders. Here's the distinction. I believe in the age of Scripture, you saw signs and wonders in a heightened manner than we should expect them today. I believe as you look through the Bible, you have four periods in the Bible. You have the Pentateuch with Moses, the prophets, and obviously who are the prophets. The Gospels, you have Jesus. Then you come to the epistles, you have the apostles there. You take these four epics of time in Scripture, and you know what happened after each one of those four divisions? There was silence among signs and wonders, but there was the Word of God being written, and then boom, signs and wonders to say, this is real. And then signs and wonders, this is real. Four different epochs. And then you don't see them in the same heightened manner. Scripture is complete. We shouldn't expect that. Some people say, well, we ought to see everything. And oh, the, I tell you what, if Jesus walked on water, we should be able to walk on water. He did this with, no, 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 no. Things are going to be different. But it doesn't mean there aren't signs, that there aren't wonders in the life of the person. And then the text in verse 10 says, spoke with wisdom and the Spirit, meaning the leading of the Spirit, more than likely. So not only do people uh, and see these people of conviction, not only do they see in them the Son of God living in them, but they see the Spirit of God working through them. So there's point one. Already finished. But here's the question. Would you say that people among your relationships would look at you and say, there's a person who demonstrates the life of God. You just, in a sense, see a bit of Jesus in them, don't you? And man, look what God's doing through them. Look how God touches people. Look how God blesses people. They demonstrate, they demonstrate the life of God. All right? Let's look at number two. Stephen defends the ways of God. And this is verses 1 through 54. Obviously, can't read it in its entirety, but uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 51. So, again, if you're using your Bibles, you can follow there or see the screen. Here's what it says. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers 
and murderers you have now become. You've received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. This is what we call an apology. Have you ever heard of an apologist? Uh, we use the word apology typically in a different way. We, we think of an apology as confessing what's wrong. Uh, in this regard, it's referring to arguing for what is right. And so apology is actually the argument that says, no, 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 no. This is what is right. Now, for instance, if, if you love your spouse, you're going to defend your spouse, correct? Imagine that you do not love your spouse and somebody says something very vulgar about them. What do you do? You say, yeah, probably so. Yeah, yeah. I've lived with her for a long time and that's a pretty good description. You say, well, wait, 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 wait. Do you not love your spouse? No, not really. Not really. No, you're going to say, what did you say about her? Did, are you, no way. And here the person that might be kind of quiet and maybe a little introverted all of a sudden says, hold your, hold on. No, no, no. This could go to war over this one. I'll fight you over the, don't you dare. You take that back. There's going to be a defense. I don't know what kind of personality that Stephen had, but I'll tell you what, when they start going against the things of God, uh, he gets riled up and he says, hold on just a minute. Now, what you're going to see are a couple of observations. First, that his defense through these 54 or so verses, his defense is intellectually informed. This guy knew the Bible of the Old Testament. And so he goes literally through the story of redemption from David to Solomon to the building of the temple. And he says, no, 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 this, no, 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 this, no, 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 this, no. And they look at him and go, whoa, they can't compete with his understanding. Now, he knew the word of God. But I'm going to add to that, his defense was directed, note this, at the conscience of those who were accusing him. I mean, he says, wait, 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 wait. You see, if you want to defend the things of God in an appropriate way, don't just address the head. Go to the heart. He didn't just merely say, whoa, 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 Jesus was crucified. What he says is he said, no, you crucified Jesus. He went to the conscience. He calls them murderers. He calls them betrayers. You get a sense. Yeah, he's, he's being defensive in the right way. And he comes up to defend what is the truth. So here what we're saying is, you should expect, as someone of a person of conviction, you should expect, you're going to defend the ways of God, and you should also expect there's either going to be one of two things. There's going to be repentance on their part, or there's going to be retaliation. And you know the story here, it's retaliation. They're not going to be repentant. It takes us to the third evidence of a person with conviction. Before I do the third, let me ask you this. Would you say you're one that would defend the ways of God? People of belief, they don't do that. 
oh, I believe in Christianity. You don't. You, you call it out and you start. Would you say, no, 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 that's not true. You can't help but do it when you've got conviction. Belief, eh, maybe not. Conviction, absolutely. Third and final test, the one that's a little bit misunderstood. Because I write it this way, Stephen dies for the cause of God. Well, Stephen has convictions. It's going to be evidenced in his suffering. It's going to be evidenced in his death. But this kind of victory that he experiences in death and suffering, you see three things, pretty interesting. You have subpoints in your outline if you're looking at it. Number one, the ovation from God. Look at verses 55 and 56. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's Jesus. Standing at the right hand of God. Is that a standing ovation? No, maybe so. I'll tell you this, though, you need to know that every Christian, every true Christian, they get an ovation from God merely by the fact that we have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. It doesn't take an act like that to cause a standing ovation by our Lord Jesus. He stands in the sense to say, I honor the righteousness of my own life imparted to you. People of conviction. Now, I think here, this ovation was a special ovation. First martyr ever, Christian martyr. I think it's an ovation because of the deep conviction that he carried. But I want you to keep this in mind. You could look at this and say, oh, yeah, yeah, he's dying. And you know what happens when you die? You get visions and people have all this crazy stuff and you see things and you have things and this and the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, he wasn't dying here. The stoning has not yet started. When he has this experience, the stoning is about to happen, which tells us this. It's seeing Jesus that enabled him to embrace the martyrdom. It wasn't that he's being martyred, now he's dead, dying, basically he's basically dead, and he sees this thing. No. No, he hadn't even, hadn't even started yet. Which is a definite reality that we have to have grace. That's why this question about, well, do you have conviction? Or will you be willing to die? I'm about to use an illustration of a martyrdom that happened that you and I will have to say, would you do that? And I go, oh, I hope so. I think so. I don't, I don't know. Am I a person of conviction? Well, sure. It doesn't mean that you're going to sit here and say, oh, I know I would die. No. It takes unusual grace. In the, uh, the book called Foxes, F-O-X-X, apostrophe S, Foxes, Books of Martyr, Book of Martyrs, there's a story of a group of Christians that were about to be martyred because of their faith. And they talked to each other, there were three of them, and they talked to each other, not knowing who was going to be first to face literally being burned at the stake. And they said, for the other two that remain, knowing our time is coming and having to watch the horrible thing of, of whoever dies first or before them, 
would you do this when, when you're going through the fire and you're there being burned? If you, if you can in any way, if you see an unusual mark of God's presence, if you see his grace in an unusual way that, that's carrying you through this, would you let us know, show by something, your hands or something, let us know what's happening. And they watched with great eagerness as this man took to the stake and just took it without motion until his head dropped and they said he's dead. Fire consuming and all of a sudden his hands just went straight up and then they dropped to his death. Gave him great courage. You know, the reality is, well, I have grace to do that if I have to die and I'm a man of conviction. Oh yeah, I believe I will. Do I experience that grace now to imagine what it would be like and would I do it? No, I don't know about that. Don't know how confident. But I'll say this. The real issue is not are you willing to go to the fire and die physically. Here's the greater call of life. It's to die to self daily. That's the real faith. People of conviction keep putting to death the sinful self saying no. And it creeps up and it screams and it says no, 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 and it puts it to death. And it stands up, no, 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 and it puts it to death. That's people of conviction. People of belief, oh, I know God's word says that's wrong. I, I, you know, that's, I probably should stop. I'll, I'll, maybe one day I will. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. They don't put it to death. They don't die. They just keep living, saying, one day maybe I will die. One day I hope I will die. I hope I'll be that type of person one day. Maybe I'll get there one day. But the truth of it is they die. They say, no. It's not they don't sin. They sin all the time. But they put it to death and put it to death and put it to death. That's the real question. You see, there's a second sub-point that Stephen's confidence in God Verses 57 through 59, it says, But they cried out with a loud voice, covered their ears, rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. The witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. You know who that is, don't you? That's Paul, the Apostle Paul, pre-conversion. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Can we learn this? We want victory. We want victory as Christians, so we're sick. We want victory. We want to be healed. Uh, we're about to die. We, we want victory. We, we, we want to live. We don't want to die. Nothing wrong with wanting to live. Nothing wrong with not wanting suffering. But the truth of it is, we've got it all wrong as Christians if we're thinking that as a Christian, real victory comes in not suffering, and real victory comes in not dying. Not true. It's our victory is in our suffering, and that's why Jesus suffered so much. That's why all of his people are told, you're going to suffer. It'll make you the holy person you need to be. And, and dying, yes, you're going to die. It's where you find life. It's in death that you find life, eternal life. Now, he didn't lose because he, he died. Now, he experienced victory. Stephen's confidence in God was incredible. And then the third and final sub-point there, it says Stephen's pardon 
of his enemies. Now there's an illustration. There is an illustration that this is a man who is literally dying for the cause of God. He's able to pardon his enemy. Look at verse 60, the last verse. It says, Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep, which means he died. Perhaps the greatest miracle of all, to pardon the very people that have accused you, that are now stoning you and putting you to death. And his thing is, Lord, have mercy on these people. Have mercy on them. Huh. Back in verse 55, we just read it earlier. It was, the real secret is found, it's called full of the Holy Spirit. It was the power of God's Spirit that can enable that. But you know, I think it's because too, he understood this great truth that if you're going to pardon people and I'm going to pardon people that wrong us and hurt us so deeply, we got to remember that's what we did to the Lord Jesus. And he pardoned us. And we offended him. I mean, we committed treason against Almighty God. And he says, I'll go to death for you. Again, demonstrating the life of God. No doubt about it. End of text. Let me just say a word, and I, I don't know if you covered anything on this, if we're overlapping, but just I want to say a word about martyrdom for a minute, and then we'll close out. Two things. One, it is a, it is a fruitful reality. Remember, it was Saul who became Paul. G. Campbell Morgan writes, it says, in, the, in this very act of his dying, he has sown the seed of a mighty harvest in the hardest man in the crowd. Tertullian said about a little before 200 AD, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I'll also say it's a present reality. The 2020 CT, Christianity Today, it cited the study of the Center for the Study of the Global Christianity, of Global Christianity, out of Gordon-Conwell, a very reputable seminary. And over the past 20 years, from the year 2000 to 2020, they were able to cite that there were approximately, they believe, 2.4 million extreme perse persecutions where people are beaten and this, that, and the other, or martyred, put to death. It's believed that somewhere around 10,000 per year of Christians are dying because they will not deny their Jesus. 10,000. Maybe the higher end. Let's say it's 5,000. Let me tell you, it's a present reality. I happen to be in a country I won't mention by name. I was in this country where the church was underground. They took me to a hotel room, and they said, we've got a man that we're going to have meet with you. He's a very elderly man, but I want you to hear his story through translation. Oh, that's going to be interesting. And so he told this story, and he sat there as he sat down. 
he was looking around as if to see, is there anything being recorded? Is there anything, that, any way that this would get out? He tells his story. And he said, I was arrested by the government because I was preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They took me and they put handcuffs on me. And I'll never forget, he took his hands and he did this. And then he shook his head. He said, not like your handcuffs, where you're cuffed with a chain. Together. They were so tight, I couldn't move. They said, here's what you do. You confess what you've done, and you deny your Jesus and promise you will never preach again your gospel about your Jesus. If not, we're putting you in this prison. And so that's exactly what happened. He said, I'm not going to do it. Every month, he had one chat, he had one job, and he said, I carry boulders with my hands like this. And I moved boulders from one place and dropped it. And I'd go to another and they'd pick it up and for all day long, that's all I did. And said, and then once a month, they take me and put me outside the prison doors and they said, we release you now if you'll just promise not to preach. And for month after month, year after year, and he went on to show the scars, he said, you couldn't even see the cuffs, the skin grew over them. They were so tight. And I lived for years. He said just a few years ago, because of a political spotlight from the Western world, they released me at my old age. I think he was in his 80s. Thinking, man, he ain't going to preach anymore now. He ain't going to cause any damage. He went right back to preach and he said, you know, my wife had died by the time I got out. My little child was now an adult. There's a man who says, I'm a man of conviction. Be real easy to just turn it around. But he says, no, not going to do it. Many of you know the name Chuck Colson, very reputable name in the Christian faith. And Colson had a ministry in, in the prisons and so forth, and he told the story of him talking to someone from the same country which I was in and told the story that he and his wife were arrested because of their Christianity. They had a 16-year-old son, and the 16-year-old son loved the Lord like they did. And they said to the parents, either you deny your Jesus or we're going to dismember your child right in front of your eyes. And the young man, a man of conviction, screamed out to his parents and said, don't you dare deny our Jesus. Of which they chose not to do. They didn't deny him. And watched him die. And they actually cut his heart and made the mother hold the heart of their son. But they would never deny Jesus. Folks, that's extreme. That's conviction, though. Their beliefs. Beliefs go a lot of different depths. But let me tell you, it's only till you cross over conviction that you can say, 
you know what? I know I'm a child of God now. I got a life of conviction. Let me conclude. The question I asked at the beginning was, do a self-evaluation. Are you, in your own estimation, a person of belief? Or are you a person of conviction? Here's the scary news. Jesus in Matthew 7 described those who had beliefs without conviction. When he said, many who come to me that day and say, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say on me that day, Lord, Lord, did, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons? Did I not perform any miracles in your name? And he says, I never knew you, you who practiced lawlessness. What he's saying is, you believed. There was no conviction. There was no conviction. How do you get conviction? There's the question. How do you get it? I'm going to suggest you go to Jesus and you go to the Word of God. Jesus is the source of grace. The Word of God is the means of grace. So if I wanted to say, God, I, I don't know that I am a person of conviction. I know I got my beliefs. I, I don't know. And by the way, if you don't have beliefs and you want to go to beliefs so that you can go to conviction, you go to the same place. You go to Jesus, you go to the cross of Jesus Christ. And you look at him, who, by the way, is the person who demonstrated the life of God, defended the ways of God, and died for the cause of God. He is our great Redeemer. And we go to him and we say, I, I want you. Help me, help me want you in such a way that I that I yield and bend the knee and start saying, I'll do what you tell me to do, not what I want to do and what's convenient for me as a... No. Go right to the cross and see what he did. See if it doesn't break your heart. Seeing that he died for sinners just like you and me. And then the word of God, the Bible says of itself, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you want to have faith build in your life, go to the Word of God. Start reading it. Every person I meet with, I say, you want to really get to know Jesus? I'll tell you what to do. Just start reading. Go to the Gospel of John and read a little bit every day. And just say, God, show me yourself. God, show me yourself. It's a means of grace. And next thing you know, your heart opens up to the things of God. Next thing you know, you're saying, oh, Look at your work in my life, God. I've got conviction. Belief or conviction. We have to choose. Go for it, Christian. Go for conviction. As we pray together. Father in heaven, for those of us here that may not even yet be people of belief, we pray that you would stir in the heart a desire now like never before to know you in a real way, a way that shows conviction. I pray for those of us here that are people of belief, but we say, oh, I don't know that there's real conviction. Would you now work in their hearts? Uh, just let them see you and stare at you and cross and see how, how you have given your life 
And I pray that you would take the word of God, your means of grace, and by their reading diligently, seeking you, that they would find you in a fresh and new way. Grant that we pray so that we might one day be ushered into your presence and hear the greatest words we could ever, ever, ever hope to hear. Well done. Great, faithful servant. Good and faithful servant. Man, woman, child of conviction. Grant that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.